0: There it is. Thank you. I always get help with the recording, <laughs> and once in a while it works. <laughs> uh, so, um, so we had a retreat last week, which it was SFI, but we included all the San Francisco Sanghas that we are uh, uh, friends with, who are Spirit Rock teachers or teachers trained at Spirit Rock. So it was San Francisco Insight. It was Mission Dharma, which is Howie Cohen's group, which has been here for 30 years or so. And then um, also um, um, Anushka Fernando-Pole is Monday Night Dharma, uh, which meets in the city, a little further in the city at CIS. Um, and um, and also um, we got uh, Vinny uh, Ferraro from Against the Stream to abandon Against the Stream and come to Spirit Rock and teach with us, and Vinny's a good friend, old friend of mine, and so uh, the four of us led the retreat, and it meant there was mostly, but not totally, but almost all people from San Francisco who represented the different sanghas, right, uh, that the teachers are part of. <clears throat> And so we had a we had a lovely retreat, and it was really nice. How many people here? There were a few people here. I see. Oh yeah, a number of people here from retreat. Wow, a lot of people. Okay. Well, I hope you don't get too bored because I'm going to give the same talk I gave on retreat. No, not exactly the same, but but. Um, um, uh, I would like I am going to give a, a talk that I started on the retreat and, and that I've been thinking about since the retreat. And uh, let's see, I'll do it this way. I'm gonna read you a sutta from the Buddha. And here's his sutta. The Buddha said, It's a a Sukhamala Sutta. He said, practitioners, meaning monks, nuns, lay people. He says, I lived in refinement, in utmost refinement, total refinement. My father even had lotus ponds made in our palace. One where red lotuses bloomed, one where white lotuses bloomed, one where blue lotuses bloomed, all for my sake. So, so just to give you context, the Buddha's talking to his followers and he's telling them very personally about his life, about what happened to him and what his life was like.
1: <clears throat>
0: and he says, a white sunshade was held over me day and night to protect me from cold heat, dust, dirt, dew and so he, you can hear he's kind of well taken care of, right? Yes, he's well taken care of. <laughs> I have three palaces, one for the cold season, one for the hot season, one for the rainy season. How many people here have three palaces, or three houses, <laughs> right? Right, he's got three, one for each season, cold, hot, rainy season. And during the four months of the rainy season, I was entertained, during the four months of the rainy season, I was entertained in the rainy season palace by minstrels without a single man among them. And I did not once come down from that palace. Right, I hope you get the picture right there. And then he goes on he says even though I was endowed with such fortune such total refinement he started mm-hmm. to have a feeling he said when an untaught ordinary person themselves subject to aging not beyond aging sees another who is aging and they are and I am going to I'm going to translate myself and they have a reaction to it they don't like it and they're, they they they're oblivious to the fact that they too are subject to aging. If I, who am subject to aging, not beyond aging, were to be horrified, humiliated, disgusted on seeing another person who is aged, that would not make sense to me. As I notice this, the typical young person's intoxication with youth entirely dropped away the young person's intoxication with youth dropped away, entirely dropped away. And then he goes on and he gives two more examples of this same understanding where he reflects on his good fortune and how nice his life is. And then he thinks about when uh, an ordinary person who is subject to illness, not beyond illness, sees a person who is ill or sick, and it has a reaction or doesn't like it, is horrified, humiliated, disgusted, and is oblivious to the fact that they too, we too, each of us, is subject to illness. And And he says, And so for me to react like that, for me to have that habitual reaction, he says, that would not make any sense for me, because I also will be ill at some point. That's part of being human. And he says, as I noticed this, the healthy person's intoxication with health entirely dropped away. The healthy person's intoxication with health entirely dropped away. And then he continues, once again, he says he has such good fortune, total refinement, and then he thinks about when an untaught ordinary person, themselves subject to death, not beyond death, sees another who is dead, sees a dead body, which would in, where, where he was living in India at that time, you know, bodies would be left out at times. You would just see a dead body, and if one was um, reacted to this, or was horrified, humiliated, disgusted, oblivious that they too are subject to death, and I thought. If I, who am subject to death, not beyond death, not beyond death, would be reactive in this way. I'm seeing another person who is dead, that would not make sense to me. And as I noticed this, the living person's intoxication with life entirely dropped away. Okay? So that's, that's the main teaching and in this story of the Buddha talking about his life, right? He's got a really good life, got a refined life. He's got basically a high-class life in his time and place. He's the son of a prince. He's going to inherit a kingdom. I mean, he's he's got a good deal there. And then he's reflecting on this ordinary, everyday reality that's true, For all of us, right? Anybody not aging here? Let me just check. Anybody not subject to illness, right? Anybody not going to die, right? He's just reflecting on a very ordinary reality, but something happens as he reflects upon these three components of our normal human experience, which is. I'm going to say it a few different ways. He says, the intoxication with youth, with health, with life, entirely drops away. This is the Buddha's language, or one translator's interpretation of it. Right. The other way we can say it is he lets go of his attachment to youth. He lets go of his attachment to health. He lets go of his attachment to life. And and notice how you hear that. You want to be aware of how do you hear that? What is he saying about youth, health, life? Anybody want to say? Pardon? (laughs) Thank you. I've got a very smart crew here. Right. It's impermanent. And so he sees the impermanence of youth of health, of life. He doesn't, um, he's not denigrating any of those, right? He's not saying, oh, youth is bad, or health, who cares, or death, oh, big deal. He's not saying anything like that. Or he's not saying anything like, oh, it's not nice to be young, or it's not great to be healthy. He doesn't say that. Or that life is not a good thing. He doesn't say anything like that. He just loses his intoxication with it. He starts to land in the truth of the way things are, in a way that most of us, and I'll include myself, are not used to landing in the truth of the way things are fully, completely, and giving ourselves to that reality in the way that happened for the Buddha right here, where he started to see... Or he's, it just happened really. He didn't do it, right? It just happened as he reflected with his presence. He started to let go of these identifications with youth, identification with health, identification with life. And it is, as was said, it's part of the A bigger understanding that Buddhism emphasizes, which are called the three characteristics of life, the three characteristics of the Dharma, of reality. And the three characteristics are that everything is impermanent. All conditioned reality is impermanent. Everybody got that? Anybody not got that? Let me, and I'm always happy to hear when I'm wrong about something, right? So it's impermanent. That's one of the characteristics of life. And it's not, in Buddhism, it's not said, none of it's bad. It's not a bad thing that it's not permanent. It's just the way things are. And when we come into harmony with the way things are, something happens for us the dharma starts to reveal itself in us as us and so part of the part of what's being pointed at when we're talking about anicca or impermanence is that we are impermanent right we are impermanent the one who thinks they're here forever sorry it's not not going to happen and even often we think it uh, unconsciously we think oh yeah I know everything's impermanent but unconsciously we act as if everything is permanent and that's an important piece we want to pay attention to because it points to some of our uh, lack of understanding fully that we may have some understanding and then there's parts of us that may not really get it yet or that have been conditioned in such a way that we're quite identified with, oh, I'm going to be here forever, even though we all know that's not true. We act like we're going to be here forever. And the, uh, and the other components of the three characteristics, so, anicca, dukkha, anatta, three characteristics. Um, the, the second characteristic is dukkha, that there's suffering or um, dis-ease, or uncomfortableness, or imperfection. And and it's part of life, it's part of human life, it's not a bad thing. You know, we tend to have our aversive reaction to dukkha. We don't want it, we get away from me, or we'll make it all perfect. We'll buy enough, you know, iPhones to feel great all the time. Or we'll have the right kind of food all the time or we'll get the right partner and then we'll be happy all the time and how many people have ever gotten the right partner and then they're not happy all the time (laughs) anybody (laughs) anybody notice that (laughs) you you know and of course I'm including myself totally because you know I love my partner and you know then sometimes I don't like my partner even though I love them because they're just, you know, they're a person. <laughs> and people have their ups and downs, like, like all of us. And so, anicca, dukkha, anatta. Anatta is, is um, a very um, a beautiful part of three characteristics, right? There's impermanence, there's suffering or dis-ease of some kind, some level, all around. And then there's not a a self in the usual way we think there's a self. There's a relative sense of self and Eugene's here and he knows, you know, to come here on Sunday nights because that's his job. But then there's also something here that is not Eugene, that is not based on history, not based on whoever was pointing at me when I was in the crib saying, oh, Eugene, Eugene. You know, before I had that name, I remember that. That was and they, they put that name on. Eugene Eugene. Okay, I'll be Eugene. But, <laughs> but, but there was something there before there was Eugene. There's still something here that's not just Eugene in the conventional sense of identity. And so and and the Buddha's beautiful teaching is he just says, oh, That's part of the reality of this experience of being born and living in this realm that's called the human realm of existence. And I'll say more about the characteristics because I'm going to talk about them for the next few weeks. So I want to say a little more about um, what I read and and what's beautiful in in terms of the Anicca of it. Right, he's the Nietzsche. One of the beautiful here, I wrote a thing somewhere. Uh, different components of a Nietzsche: impermanence, right, which we said change, right. Like, have you all noticed everything changes? Even things that don't change change. Right, How's, that's a very Zen line I'm throwing in here, but it's true right? Everything that doesn't change, nothing stays the same, even though it can have a flow. It's like a river, right? It'll have its current, and you can feel the current, but the current doesn't actually stay the same. It's still changing even while it's moving, and you can feel the current, the current, the current, but it's changing even as you're feeling it. And you start to, if you get sensitive, you can be aware of the the change in the current that is happening. And again, it's like the breathing. We're breathing all the time as long as our bodies are alive. Never the same breath twice. Never. It's never the same. It's always changing, even though it's similar. It's like the one before and the one after, and we think, okay, I'm breathing. I know breathing. But if we really get close to it, if we really get sensitive to it, to always changing to always happening aliveness here I could say it this way every moment is always new it's one of the great teachings of Buddhism every moment is actually brand new and as we get more here and I keep doing this because it's bringing body and mind together as we get here then the the re- reality of what's here starts to know itself and know the greater reality because it's both internal mindfulness and external and there and it's so the awareness is knowing what's here and what's here and the and the and the texture of the consciousness that knows is totally alive and it's not static so, so everything is changing. Remember the meditation tonight? Anybody remember that? Right, right. Remember I said something when it, I pointed out when it started? right? Did you notice that it ended? Right? At the end, remember, I rang the bell and the meditation ended. And then I said, "Now let's not end, even though it did end. Everything starts and stops, or starts and ends, and then there's a new moment. And that, that arising and passing is part of the, the current of anicca, of impermanence. Right? Even I, I, if I would have been a really great teacher, I would have said, okay, now the talk is starting. Right? The Anicca talk is starting, Right, and then in about, you know, I don't know, five or ten minutes or whenever I stop talking, I could say, oh, the talk is stopping now, because right? everything has a beginning and ending we can start to be aware of, and especially like we're just on retreat, so on retreat, there's nothing to do, right? Everybody know that? How many people here have never been on a meditation retreat, like for a week? Some great. Oh, great to see. Great. Well, I can, it's so cool because there's nothing to do. (laughs) And it's radical in that way. It's really radical. And it starts to reveal reality in a way we're not used to. And that's why the retreats are so beautiful because we all think we know what reality is and there's more to learn. There's more for us to discover, each of us. And it's why I love being on retreat, whether I'm sitting or whether I'm teaching, because I keep learning so much more. <clears throat> so so the, um, the impermanence change, the coming and going of each moment, of each experience, whether it's sensations, thoughts, feelings, sounds, smells, tastes, touch, states of consciousness, everything does this. And it may, it may start, it may last for a while, it may last for, you know, I mean, this talk could last for an hour if I really keep going. And, and, but it's still it'll end, I, I can assure you. I've been <laughs> doing these talks 25, 30 years here, and they, they, they don't go forever. And even the 25, 30 years is not going to go forever also, right? It's just here for a while, and then it changes. And so part of what is really helpful about impermanence is we all, and it's not. Well, I'll say it. What I think is one of the really helpful things about impermanence is we see we're not in control, and it's something that can be very disturbing because most of us want to be in control. It's a very normal human thing. We we like to control our environment or our world or our this or our that, and. We're not in control, right? It's all happening on its own, right? Reality is just happening on its own. And impermanence points us to that over and over again, right? And, you know, I say this often, but it's, it's a good, good Dharma line, so I'll say it again. Uh, uh, how many people remember when you were 16? How many people remember that? Remember Remember the, the best thing, the worst thing? Let's go for the worst Remember the worst thing that happened when you were 16? Do you, Anybody remember that? A couple? Okay, a few people. How about the best thing? How many people remember the best Okay, how many people don't remember much about 16? What? Great. Those people are a little more in touch with how reality works. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning it was here, the best thing or the worst thing, it was here and then it's gone, and, it, and then we might have memories, we might have ideas about it, we might still have re, uh, reactions to it. It may have impressed us or touched us very deeply, but it's, it's gone. And it was totally real, and it's still gone. And so each moment, each moment, That's my favorite sound here, <laughs> the, the garage door opening. They could have designed it a little better, but what are you going to do? You know, Duka, there's little Duka everywhere. So, so this is from a good friend of mine, Gina Sharp. Uh, she says, seeing in the inevitability of pleasure and pain, light and dark, gain and loss. Praise and Blame. Garage doors opening and closing. She says, all appearing for a time and changing on their own. Understanding everything as process. Thoughts constantly appearing and disappearing. Feelings changing, bodies aging, transforming, shifting, moving. This is how it is. No solid self, nothing permanent or irretrievably, unchangeably me or mine, like bubbles in a stream. This understanding mandates letting go, not clinging. This understanding mandates letting go, not clinging inwardly or outwardly. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so Anicca, <laughs> <laughs> I'm clinging right now. I have to <laughs> uh, but happily, the, even the garage door starts and ends. <laughs> hmm? like Pardon? No, no, that's not the heater. Other times I complain about the heater. That's the garage door. (laughs) exactly the garage door. I can complain plenty, but it's impermanent, my complaining. So so there's something uh, that's pointed at in Buddhism about being aware of the characteristics of reality as part of the doorway to freedom. For the freedom for us to be ourselves fully, for, for us to begin to know ourselves fully, to discover ourselves fully, because we also are impermanent. And our inner reality, our thoughts, feelings, ideas, beliefs, likes, dislikes, want, they're all impermanent. And it doesn't mean we don't have them, it doesn't mean they're not true. It just means we can be a little more relaxed about them. We can be a little more relaxed even when we don't like the goddamn garage door shutting and opening all the time. Because so what? It's just a moment. And then it's quiet. And then something else will happen. Trust me. And I don't mean (laughs) I mean I mean, you know, now I'm going into the three characteristics because there's dukkha. There's a little bit of dukkha with human life. It's not a bad thing. It's not a mistake. It's not a wrong thing. But when we start to see the characteristics of reality, instead of we don't have to take them quite so personally even though at times it makes total sense to take them totally personally and know that they're not personal even when we're taking them totally personally. And I mean that very sincerely because I've been thinking a lot. One of the other things I hope to talk about more this year is our involvement in the world as part of Dharma practice. And I was reading... um, a book that actually Gina Sharp recommended to me called uh, The Radical King. The Radical King. And it's about Martin Luther King. And it's by Cornel West. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's cool. I like that gentleman very much. He is really bright and he's a kind of no-bullshit kind of guy. And I appreciate that kind of reality. And so I've been reading about Martin Luther King and his life in the 50s and bef- uh, before he was well-known, what he was saying in his sermons, and one of the biggest influences I just read about was he started to learn, learn about um, Mahatma Gandhi. And it was so interest, so interesting to hear him write and talk about Mahatma Gandhi and how and the impact Gandhi had on him. Because he realizes he, he's, he learns about what Gandhi did and how Gandhi basically liberated India from English rule by trusting his heart totally and trusting his love totally. And not being afraid to go up against the biggest colonial ruler maybe in the history of the, of, of the, the world. I, I, I don't know if that's totally accurate, but in my limited understanding, England was a phenomenal colonial ruler and, and um, they had conquered India, which had millions and millions of people under their rule. <laughs> And Gandhi was a law, had become a lawyer, and had gone to England and was well received in England. And at some point he gets he goes to South Africa actually, and there he's treated like shit because of the racism of South Africa. And he starts to his radicalness starts to wake up, and his understanding that um, he needs to do something about the um, the injustice of the world, the prejudice that's in the world, that's part of the world, and so he responds. But he's he's a very spiritual guy, and so he he comes back to um, um, uh, let's see where I'm. I i do not want to confuse my stories totally, but he comes back and he um, uh, learns a lot about. Um, um, Mahatma Gandhi, and he, oh no, that's, it's Gandhi who went to South Africa, and, and he was the one who became radical there, and then went back to India, and he wanted to fight for the freedom of his people. Okay, so, Naga, so what he does, because he'd been a lawyer, and what he does is he gets rid of all his clothes, and he just wears a loincloth. And meaning what he's do, what he does is he decides, oh, I don't want to live an upper class life anymore. I want to just live the way most of the people, many of the people in India lived. And so he starts to just wear a loincloth and give up all his possessions. And he's quite radical, Gandhi, in doing this. And and um, and then he just starts to protest nonviolently, and that's. That's his bottom line. He doesn't want to hurt anybody, he doesn't want to attack anybody, but he doesn't want to put up with the colonialism that's happening there, and the prejudice, and the, the control that's happening. And so, and Martin Luther King is totally inspired by Gandhi. In fact, he says, oh, he, he compares him a lot to Christ, because Christ has a line, uh, something he said, where, oh yeah, follow me, and then you will do more than I do. And Martin Luther King couldn't understand how Christ could say that. I mean, this is the son of God, right? And he's saying, how, why would Christ say, oh, if you follow my lead, you can do more than I do, right, in your life. And then Martin Luther King starts to get it. He says, oh, Gandhi was like Christ. This is Martin Luther King. It's not my quote, but it's what he said. And he sees, oh, that Gandhi does this amazing thing through his love and nonviolence and his heartfulness and his radical discipline. Also, Martin Luther King Jr. keeps talking about the discipline of Gandhi, that he's not afraid to be totally disciplined in order to achieve what he cares about. And so it's a beautiful it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful book. I highly recommend it. But it's also the same question for all of us, which is maybe the bottom line question is, given that we're all impermanent, we're all only here for a short time, relatively, what do you want to do with your life? What would make your life meaningful? What would what would satisfy your heart, given you have, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. And that we live here together. And that mindfulness is not just internal, but it's both. What the Buddha talked about, what he wrote about, every time he taught about mindfulness, he talked about it internally and externally. How do we, how do we live mindfully in this world together? And so anicca is part of the nourishment for our waking up. That when we start to unplug from the conscious or unconscious belief that things are permanent or habitual, or there's some kind of assumption that reality is going to be this way, or always going to be this way, or even the way we know reality is the total truth. That's really helpful practice, <clears throat> because I've seen it, especially with what's going on in our country for the last, where are we, you know, I don't know how many, 300 years, whatever it is, you know, of the, of what, and of what's going on now in terms of racism, and the kind of reactivity that is happening in the country, um, and has been happening all along, because of the prejudice that is ingrained in America, and is part of our history of how we came about. You know, one of the one of the biggest economic supports for American sovereignty and ongoingness has was slavery, and then the, and then the weaving of Um, prejudice and discrimination into the country even after the Civil War and so those components of practice are uh, also what we want to be aware of because we want to support change that is skillful and helpful for all of us. And so this understanding of impermanence works a few ways. We see that we are impermanent, and that everything is impermanent, and things change, and that we can support the potential for positive change in ourselves, and in our friends, and in our families, and in our communities, and in our culture, and in our political world, and in our international world, right? And it's one of the great um, difficulties that we don't know how to do yet, is live together as a world of people all together. And it's something that's being pushed forward for many different reasons, And I think it's really good that it's being pushed forward because it's time, in my language, for us to grow up. And and the joy of the dharma, or the pleasure of the dharma, the goodness of the dharma, um, is infinite in my understanding and in my experience. It's infinite. We don't know how good it could be because there's no limit to how free we could be. And I mean that for each of us. So I'll end the talk, part. I'm ending the talk with a quote from the Buddha who said, When those who are wise, when those who are wise dwell in contemplation on the transient nature of the body, mind, heart, and of all conditioned existence, when those who are wise and dwell in contemplation on the transient nature of the body, heart, and mind, and of all conditioned existence, they experience joy and delight seeing through to the inherently secure. From the Dharmapada. So, uh, as you all know, I like to see, okay, that's what I had to say tonight. What do you have to say? Questions, comments, reactions, agreements, disagreements, all good. Please.
2: Okay, of course, I'm
0: start with your name, Ben.
2: I'm Ben, and uh, I just wanted to ask about something you said earlier. You said sure. that sometimes it makes sense to take things totally personally. Yeah. I was wondering if you had some example of that.
0: I, t- I totally take a lot of things personally. We We do take things personally, and we want to be real about that, but it's also really helpful The paradox is that we can take it personal and impersonal at the same moment.
2: So if I'm getting this right, it's basically like, yes, you have an ego, but you can be aware of that ego. Your ego will react to things, and you should be aware that it's doing that, and that's a natural thing to happen. But at the same time, that doesn't have to be all of your consciousness.
0: That's a good way to say it. I wouldn't even throw in the ego part. I would say there's a relative sense of self, there's an ultimate sense of self, and they're both true. And that's the piece that's hardest for us to get. Because we always want to, most of us, want to either stay with the relative and like, oh, that's for real, and this other stuff is nonsense. Or we want to go to the ultimate and get rid of the relative. And that's the piece I get more concerned about. There's a kind of spiritual bypass that we can do. That's why I'm saying, oh, yeah, some things are actually personal. You know, if I come over there right now and I hit you in the head, it's personal. Right? You're not going to take that impersonally. And that's an important part of practice. Okay, thanks. Okay, sure. Yeah, you had your hand up a moment ago. Hello, I'm
1: Marissa. I was going to ask something like, Okay, well, I'm getting better with things like the garage door, feeling like more confident and safe, like around when anxiety comes up, like that things are going to pass and change. Uh But it's more like extended transitions, you know, like my mother is ill Uh and it's getting really real, you know, Uh and how to be with that extended transition. Right. Or
0: like... <laughs> so, whoa, whoa, slow down. Let, let me stay with you. So you're bringing up a really good point, an important point, which is extended transition. Your mother's ill. How old is your mother? She's 81. 81. She might not live more than 20 more years, right? Right. Or who knows, right? Could be shorter, right? You already know that. And that's good that you know that because it's true. None of us is going to live forever. So the way to work with the extended trans... trans um, <laughs> Should I take this personally? <laughs> <laughs> you could. It's usually a little bit personal. You know, <laughs> we're having a little something happen up there. OK, OK. Um, So, yeah, yeah. So, um, but the only way you can work with the extended transition is one day at a time.
1: Okay, well, here's something more complicated then.
0: Please make it more complicated. In some ways,
1: death is easier to accept
0: than
1: change. Like I come back, I find out my studio mate is moving out 30 days. Mm -hmm. Oh, great. Right? Right. And part of my response was, you know, that's right. Life's gonna, keep, life keeps happening. Mm-hmm. And I felt sorry. I like, oh, just go back from retreat. I can't deal with all this reality. But like, haha, <laughs> 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 like reality. It is reality. <laughs> so uh-huh.
0: I'm just yeah. saying, like, that's like, okay,
1: now I have to take actions. I have to post.
0: it. Yeah, you do. You have to. Yes, you have to be responsible. It's true. It's Even a whole month. Yeah, for a whole month, you have to be responsible. <laughs> <laughs> And it's true, and you don't have to like it. You can be pissed about it, you could be afraid of it, but you don't have to take it all so seriously because it will change sooner or later. And you will take it seriously. See, this is the paradox. Serious and not serious together. Because it is life is serious, and the reason we take it seriously is because we care about it. And so being aware of the heart that cares about it gives you a different perspective rather than just believing the projections of, and of the fears. That it's going to be bad or horrible or rotten or uh, who will I ever live with again or what will happen. That's fear, and you're going to have people have fear. And so you can be kind to yourself when that's here rather than just believe it. Yeah. Okay? Thank you. Sure, thank you. No, good examples of, 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 of how it's difficult at times. And I'll, yeah, come on. Of course, if you've never spoken here, please speak sometime. You know otherwise then I have to keep talking if you don't talk. And, You've heard enough of me. So I'll be very
2: brief. And anyway, Chris. Hi, Chris. Um, I guess I just L- lift to...
0: it up, lift it up, so you're comfortable. Good. Thank you. Um, I just
2: wanted to riff off of that or connect with it around attachment and detachment, and I don't really have a point. It just feels like that's so much of what life is constantly about—is that balance that comes up in meditation. Yes. Yeah. There's so much that we care about, whether it's you know in our personal lives or in yes. the world. And yet it's completely unsustainable to be relentlessly fixated or attached on it in yeah. too intensive a way. And yet, right. and, and so it's a paradox. Yeah. It's a paradox. <laughs> and, and I don't know, please please, uh, spell it all out. You're, you're, you're doing right? a great <laughs> job. Whoa, whoa, stay here, stay here. You're
0: doing a great job. You said it beautifully. It is a paradox because we care about a lot. We care about our... our Partners and our families and our friends and our communities or our work or our study or whatever it might be, whatever we're interested in. Of course, and, and, and we should, and I don't know about should, but I think it's very skillful to give ourselves fully to what we care about, knowing it's all going to change. And we can't control that. And I, you know, and I have my own stuff. I think, oh, I'm supposed to be this way or this way, or I love this, and I like doing this, or I like doing, like, yeah, you know. So here, here, I'll give very personal example. People know a little that I, I like to ride a bike, right? And I had a big bike accident, and uh, and then I had a, and that was bad. That was a bad bike accident. Then I had a second bike accident a few years later which I call the not-big-deal accident. My wife likes to kill me when I say that because (coughs) I only spent a week in the hospital during that accident, right? Serious, another bike accident, but not as bad as the first one. But but, um, I don't ride so much anymore in that way. (laughs) That got me accidents. So, meaning I don't do a lot of steep downhill fast, blah, blah, blah. But uh, and so there's some places I don't go anymore, and I miss it. And like even today, I was thinking, "Shit, I could go," you know, but I don't do it because it's changed. And and it's like, and I miss it, and I I'm aware of missing it. And it's also totally fine. And there are two different levels of reality that are both true. Like, really, because I also think, oh, I could get back out and I could do it and I'm going to do it, and then I think, no, no, that's, that's done probably for now for me, you okay, know? Uh, Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. I mean, I just, can I respond to that? Sure, right? please. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, also what that brings up is just that, um, you know, one...
0: Yeah, make sure you're speaking into the mic, because I <laughs> so, want to make so sure... So, you... they're always coming
2: up, you know, maybe it's partially a question of trying out our level of attachment and experimenting and being open to modifying it, you know, making something yeah. as basic as that, because we're not going to be able to be relentlessly fully attached, nor can we be completely
0: detached. So, so I, I don't use the word detached, personally, because I'd like to be totally in whatever is happening and non-attached at the same time. There's the paradox that I keep pointing at. That, you know, I'm I'm so so these days I'm not writing so much, I'm doing CrossFit. Right? I'm having a lot of fun at CrossFit, <laughs> even though even though it's I keep thinking, oh this is not made for me. <laughs> or I'm too old for CrossFit. But it's totally fun. And so I'm totally learning as I do it. And it has its own dukkha crossfit, right? Because everything has some, cross, some crossfit. No, everything has, has some dukkha to it. And you're pointing at something that is the second characteristic that the Buddha highlighted, that there's dukkha. Nothing is perfect here, right? It's just the way it is. And I've got to, it's totally fun, crossfit. And even still, there's a little dukkha at crossfit. You know, especially if you can't do that pull up after you've done ten, you can't do another one. It's like, oh shit, how the hell are these young people doing that like that? You know, but they're doing it, but I'm not doing it. Right? And it's but it's it's low class dukkha at CrossFit, right? There's other dukkha that's more high class dukkha that we want to be a little more respectful of, but it's still like, um, uh, yeah, first you were saying Pardon? First world dukkha. Pardon?
2: First world dukkha.
0: First first world dukkha, right, yeah, yeah, high-class. But also just, you know, people get sick and die. It's high-class dukkha. It's not low-class dukkha. That's serious dukkha that happens for all of us. We're all going to have people we care about who get sick and then die. So, okay? Thank you. Oh, sure. Hi. Thank you. appreciate you getting my attention there.
3: I'm Roberta, and um, there's so much in the Dharma talk today that I feel like I'm getting pieces, and part of it's just my own comprehension. Mm -hmm. And part of it, I think, is also translation. Yeah. So, the first three, um, the part in the beginning about impermanence, which is, you know, the health, or illness. Youth,
0: health, life.
3: And then, so, when you were quoting it, and it seemed like there was almost a transition sentence that I was missing to understand it. Okay. So, you're I, right. if you're, is, where, yeah, you, you said, it was like the same thing for all three.
0: Yes. But... Was the key or
3: element to losing intoxication was the key to sit with it and be aware of it? Because like everybody here understands the fact that this, everything's impermanent, right. everything will change, nothing will last. Right. But what is it that the Buddha is saying loses the intoxication?
0: He doesn't say, he says, this is, he does say, he says, here's what happened to me, is he reflects on himself and he says, if I, who am subject to aging, illness, death, right, not beyond aging, illness, death, were to react in this way, it would not make sense to me to have those reactions, like in seeing someone who is aging or someone who is ill or someone who is dead. And so he's just describing his interior process that happens for him. It may not happen for you the same way. It may not happen for me the same way. But as you start to contemplate it, you know, over time, a day, a week, a month, watch what happens, right? You're not just, oh, you know it. No, you contemplate it. Like, look around here, and if you look around carefully, you can see, oh, everybody's aging. And like, I get to see people over and over. Not only that, they get to see me age, right? We're actually aging literally. Or, or that <clears throat> we can see, sometimes you see somebody, it doesn't matter what age they are, you can see their youth, mm-hmm. right? And then you can see, oh, they're not, they're not young, but you can see the youth that was there, right? And, of course, you can look at at anybody around here and see that they're going to die. And you could even guess in your mind, you don't don't tell them, (laughs) when when do you think they're going to die? You know, next week, next year, next month, ten years? Because who knows how broad consciousness can be really. And so, so there's a couple ways to pl- start to play with it, or just to just in permanence, just that. Just to see whatever is happening today, like even your question, it's almost done. Right? Meaning we're having this little talk and that's going to end. And you can start, so in other words, the texture of what we're being pointed at starts to be felt or sensed not just thought about. Does that make sense? And That is, I think, things get very interesting when we start to let our consciousness permeate even what we call a concept like impermanence, because it's all alive right here.
3: So, in, well, like, Really, abhorrent that people <coughs> going to die. Um, and for me, as a child, I experienced death very closely at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And so then I started to um, prepare myself for people dying, mm-hmm. and just crying myself to sleep, wondering, you know, if they're going to die, they're going to die, they're going to die. Yeah. And so <coughs> I was very aware that things were impermanent. But I'm still the word intoxication is right. still a little yes. bit confusing to me. Yeah,
0: that's yeah, a good good, good question. Uh, yeah, well, think of it this way, or here's how I've been thinking about it. You can consider, and there might be a better translation somewhere. But I I like because somebody else, you on the retreat used the term. I can't remember his term, but I didn't like it. It was something like value or something. Uh, uh, Yeah, pride or something like that he used. But I like intoxication. Because what is intoxication, right? What is that? And what is not intoxicated, right? If you've been intoxicated, Right, And you know the difference between being intoxicated and not being intoxicated? There's like a clarity of heart and mind that comes forward when we're not intoxicated. And so he's pointing at a subtle dimension of consciousness that is, happens for us when we're intoxicated with youth, health, life. And when we let go of that intoxication, there's a more immediacy and clarity that's right here, in in our experience of this moment. Real the liveliness of the reality that's speaking one to the other. Okay. Okay. No, don't work on it too much. Play with it, sense it, feel it. It's, yeah, just, yeah. Those kind of words feel as important to me as. Uh, think about it, right? Because the thought's part of it, but also pay attention to what happens to body, heart, and mind as you're contemplating it. Okay? Great. Thank you. Thank you. Good, good questions. Okay. Um, we're at the end of the talk now.